Hello. Hello. What's going on? Mr. Whistler. How are you? Good. How are you doing, man? Good. All right. All right. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. We appreciate it. I am thrilled and honored to be even asked to be a part. <laughs> so uh, thank you very much. Well, listen, man, when it comes to imparting wisdom, uh, you know, you're one of the first people we thought of uh, to get into the interview series with. Uh, bossy. Because I'm bossy. <laughs> no, because you do a shit ton of work and you deal with clients on the daily. And I think that, you know, everybody listening could really benefit from from the way you go about what you do. Uh, okay. Shoot. <laughs> Let's do it. Um, all right. So, I mean, I, I guess, look, before we get into, there's, of course, a lot with your career that will that we will talk about Um there's, or, or, do, or do you want to talk about about his career first? What, what do you want to do? You want to? Hey, man, the beauty of the internet. There's I guess no we can do every rules. Do what let's you want do to this, do. Tyler. Let's do this. Why don't you? Why don't you give a little intro to yourself? Um, a little bit about your history. I mean, of course, seeing I know that you've been that you went to design school, so you are formally trained. Um, you know, you've been on Design Star, you've been on George to the Rescue, you have a lot that you've done. So why don't you give our audience and everyone that doesn't know you a little background? Uh, so hello, my name is Tyler Whistler. Um, I, yes, I am a formally trained designer. I went, uh, through, you know, my four years of school, I went to the American university my first year, I went to New York school of interior design, uh, following that because I changed my major. And then I actually graduated from Marymount University with my degree in interior design. Um, I quickly uh, jumped into the industry. I started working with a small firm in Chelsea in Manhattan. Uh, and I was there for 16 years. So I actually, I actually overlapped my time with a lot of uh, the design star time. Um, while I was still working in the firm. I mean, that's where I got my roots from. So I got my roots in very, very high-end residential design. Was this was this designed primarily for Manhattan clients in the New York City uh, area? I mean, or was yeah, this I mean, was it all over the country? Primarily the firm focused in on the tri-state area. Okay. So, you know, we had Greenwich, we had a lot of Long Island, Westbury, Old Westbury, uh, the Englewoods, the, uh, so you're talking people, Alpine. so you're talking people that have no money. Yeah. Yeah. There's <laughs> barely any budget. Yeah. <laughs> what, um, what size firm was it? How many people tiny, were there? tiny? Yep. I mean, at, at its most, um, I think we were maybe six or seven people Okay. at its, at its smallest. We were three. Gotcha. Um, and, and what did you, I mean, 16 years is a long time. What, I mean, what would you say the biggest takeaway from, from starting your career at a, at a firm instead of, as many of us do, you know, have, have our own, you know, private companies and we're, we're, we basically freelance design projects. Um, you know, what would you say the, the major benefit of, of having those 16 years at, at a firm would be? Because you can see everything that you don't want to do. You see, <laughs> that's, a good, that's a good answer. I like that. You see all the mistakes and it's not on you. Right. Because you are working for, you know, the machine that is. And, you know, I sat back a lot of times and I was like, why are you doing this, dude? Yeah. And, uh, you know, and I, and I could see things that worked that did not work. Right. Um, you know, especially when it came to business and 
dealing with clients because that is a really difficult part of the interior design and construction and, and absolutely really any industry. Yeah, I mean, and, you know, in any industry, the, the relationships are are tough. And that's and that's really a lot of what it's about. It's about finessing mm-hmm. uh, conversations and. You know, at the end of the day, an interior designer is a salesman. You're selling your design. Right. So you need to know how to navigate through the that client's sort of perception of design to to make your uh vision come alive. Well, and that's a great segue because you know, you you've got a quote that that I wrote down here that I want to read um and it just says, "Great design is what you make of it. What makes you happy?" I'm just here to help steer you in the right direction. Open your eyes to a world of sometimes unrecognized beauty. Embrace creative possibilities all while having a good time implementing it. And I think that's a really, really great quote because you're taking the approach of helping your client achieve what they want, not putting your vision in their home. You want to make sure it's theirs. So with with that being said you know, what, what are some of the, the ways you go about, you know, making that a reality? Because I think, you know, where, where a lot of people that we talk to anyway, potential clients, listeners, uh, the, the, the world on Twitter, um, you know, people get nervous that a designer is going to come in and just take over. And then the, the home is no longer theirs. The project is no longer theirs. The vision is no longer theirs. You know, I don't want I don't want that to happen in my house. So maybe we can, you know, kind of squash some of the myths surrounding what it is that we actually do. Uh, okay. Well, you know, it, it's a myth to a point because there are some designers out there who who are that way. Well, and yeah, true. You're that is true. No, you're right. right. That's true. And uh, you know, and one of the biggest things that I can tell any potential homeowner or whatever looking for a designer is to do your homework. I mean, to get get referrals if you can, um, but really just kind of follow them. I actually got a client off of Twitter because she she fully admitted she sat back and she just saw what I had to say for a while. <laughs> and she would kind of look at what I was doing and how I was approaching it. And then she finally reached out and said, I've been following you and kind of mildly stalking you. And I like you. And that's how the job the job started you need to know that you're going to click with this person because uh most interior design jobs are not short-term relationships especially depending on the scope and you need to realize that you're building a relationship you're probably gonna be talking to this person way more than you might be talking to your boyfriend girlfriend spouse whatever right (laughs) and probably can and probably confiding way more in them than you even tell your therapist (laughs) very true very true um, do it, it's a matter of doing your homework. You, I mean, it's a big investment when you're, when you're dealing with anything in the home, there's always a hefty price tag attached. Yeah, there, absolutely. there's no way, there's no way around it. So just make sure that you're comfortable. Hey, Tyler, one question I have for you, when you were working with your firm, were you hired directly by the homeowner or were you hired by a general contractor or architect, or was it a combination of both? Uh, most of the time, I would say 90% of the time, the jobs all came from referrals, but they were directly from the homeowner. So it was, oh, I just saw you did my friend's place. I like what you did. So let's do that, but not that. 
differently, you know? Um, And then, you know, maybe 10% of the time it came from an architect, came from a contractor, but those are much more rare um, occurrences for my firm, at least. Um, And I know a lot of people work in the reverse where they get a ton of business from like real estate brokers, Mm -hmm. developers. It really... It, it really just is sort of a matter of what circle you've fallen into. Sure. And that was the circle that he was in. So that's that's where that is, uh, the business came from. Is there anything that you took from the firm that you still implement today in your own business? Uh, well, you know, at the end of the day, I, I think his, his, his temperament, he, he, his temperament was that you just really want to be there for your client. And it was, and I always want to be there for my client. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, sometimes you, you have to put those boundaries down. Like, okay, it's, you know, I don't know, five o'clock on, on I was just going to say, I was just going to say it's uh midnight. Please don't call me now. It's midnight. You know it's, yeah. And, you, and, and you're getting emails nonstop. I know. And, but I'm also the kind of person, if I don't answer it, I'm probably going to forget to answer it. So then, what do I do? I sit there and I do it anyway. And I, and I answer the email and I take the phone call and I, you know, <laughs> whether it's good or bad, I don't know, but the client always feels like they are appreciated and they are like the number one client. So, and that's, a, that's the way it should be. And, and it should, and it should. So how would you, how would you, because I think something that we constantly get from a lot of people is how do you, or how did you go about, and maybe how do you currently still go about dealing with having the relationship with the general contractor and with the architect and making sure that the entire team is working in a cohesive manner. Cause I think the one thing that, that we hear and I've seen also is sometimes some designers are divas and they don't want to exactly work with the architect or the contractor. What? what? You've been dealing. I know. Jeez. <laughs> I've never even heard. Of that. <laughs> oh my God. And, and a lot of clients say, I don't want that for my project. I want, everybody to really get along because time is money and we want to make sure that everybody's on the same page. So are there some best practices or things that you currently do to make sure that everybody is working in that cohesive manner? Communication is the biggest thing. I mean, you can't assume anything of anybody that anybody is going to take this on and you're supposed to take that on. Communication is key. So, I mean, I, I'm probably, I, I, I probably overdo it when I CC every last person on an email and just keep them on the thread. But you know what? It's there for a reason. We can all reference it and go back to it. I think communication is the biggest, the biggest thing because if you've got a paper trail of, you know, well, I said this and and you said that, and that's probably not where you're going. You're probably talking more about, you know, how to keep everybody in line, but you know what the thing is, when it comes to the amount of personalities that go on, it's kind of the same thing like dealing with the clients. Um, you're trying to figure out, you know, there are some people who just are going to be an alpha and they're not going to let it go. So you need to figure out how to navigate through that person to still get your voice heard. Um, I don't know that there's a magic answer. No, I don't think there is. No, I don't, I don't think there is. It's, I think it's just trying to, and we talk about that a lot, you know, to, to a lot of people around the country is about the, about communication. And I think, you know, we say, oh, of course, everyone's like, of course you have to communicate and CC people. But in all honesty, 
it happens so little. It, it's it's a very basic, easy thing to do, but a lot of times that communication breaks down and people start stop talking to each other and they don't really work as a team and everyone kind of looks out for themselves and that's when projects start to kind of go off the rails. I think one of the one of the things too is when people are trying to get a project started, it's it's always a better idea to have their team in place from the beginning. To bring in an outside party partway through yeah. always causes a little bit of friction regardless of what it is. I mean, I, I have two projects right now brought in sort of a little later in the game and, you know, because someone was there first, they, you know, they're calling dibs on everything. Yeah, it makes yeah. makes for a good, good point. makes for a good awkward situation. You know, it's not it, that's not a fun way to do it. When when you have the initial job meeting and all and all the parties are there, there's this level playing field, if you will, that that we're all on the same page. We're all starting this thing together. We're going to see it through to the end. When when somebody gets brought in in the middle, it's kind of like, am I not doing my job? Is that why this person was brought in? Is you know, there's there's it can get real sticky real quick. I totally agree with you on that one. But you know what? It's it's funny too that I coming in as a designer, like there there there's nothing that I'm I'm trying to take away from from a contractor, from an architect. I'm just coming in from a different point of view. So it has nothing to do with um, you know, stepping on anybody's toes. I respect everybody's profession because without all these other people, the job would never get done. Yeah, I mean, everybody's a piece to the puzzle. It's not, it's not, uh, you're not replicating anybody else's task. That would just be redundant. You're spending money to spend money, you know, the architect. Yeah, go ahead. No, no, no. And and the one thing that I do try and remind the people who are sort of being, being the most abrasive is we're all trying to get to the same finish line. We all just want a beautiful project. So me saying something is not trying to make your life more difficult. I just want it to be as beautiful as possible because at the end of the day, those pictures are going to stand for all of us. Right. So, you know, it, yep. it's when, when I call out, you know, maybe we should do two coats of paint because you should normally do two coats of yep. paint or, you know, some silly things like that. But, you know, some people get very offended. No, but I, I think, but that's a great point. Uh, having the team in place and we, that's one of the first things that we talk about is telling people have that team in place because if everybody starts out the project right from the get-go, everybody knows what everyone is expecting. And there's certain things as a designer that you expect the general contractor to do for you to help out and vice versa. So, you know, I think that is a great point and that's that's a great takeaway that a lot of people should really look at. You know, of course it happens. You bring people in at a later date, but if you can at the beginning have the team assembled, do that. Absolutely, absolutely. And and you know, again, with with regards to communication, and this, uh, <laughs> and I'm not calling you guys out, um, but GCs, I want them. If I if I present something, I don't want instant agreement to it, and then you tell me later on when it's looking a little wonky i didn't really know what you were wanting or i've never actually done that like i would much rather you tell me i'm not familiar with what you want can you show me or help me out like i don't want the the thing with a lot of uh gcs is 
they're too proud to ask for help sometimes. And I'm like, just tell me. I am part of the team. Just like, you know, I ask, I ask you guys stuff all the time because I know nothing. And you know, it's interesting. I, I feel that it's it's more of a, a personality per person rather than profession. I mean, obviously, you're talking about it in in respect to general contractors because that's where the majority of you know whatever conflicts on a job you know come from for you. But we. We've had it with designers, we've had it with other contractors, we've had it with subcontractors, and we've had it with architects. And I think it's just it's just people who are not willing to communicate with another person. I think it's irrelevant of profession. It's just that they're too proud to ask. And like like you said, it's you know, I just don't think it's I don't think it's profession based. I think it's personality based. Yeah, it's it's too that whole pride thing. And it's Pro- like I yeah. I got none of that, so don't worry about it. <laughs> but you know, it, you you say it in jest, but it, you know, it it shouldn't be about pride. I mean, you should have pride in your work, but it, you shouldn't be too proud to to ask something you don't know any ever in any walk of life, and especially when you're trying to put uh, the best possible project together that you can for your client. And like you just said five minutes ago, there's nothing cheap about working in the home. So <laughs> you know you've got an expensive project, and then you're going to go make mistakes. Why? Because you're too proud to ask how to do it right the first time. It doesn't make yeah. sense. So you know to say you're not too proud that that's something I would look for in a designer and a contractor and an architect because you know those questions are going to save us time and money in the long run when when we address it early on. Yeah. Um, so one just shifting gears a little bit when when you deal with a client and this is you know for for people listening obviously you know they they most people we assume have a project coming up or they're thinking about one. Um, and it, it's all about the, the preparation in advance of smashing down walls um, so that so that we can limit the amount of time that we're that we're living on a construction site. Do you have a like tried and true process that you take each client to? through rather or do you kind of adjust it based on the personality of the client uh do you have any documents that you have them fill out any exercises that you want them to go through um anything that you can share with our listeners that would help them whether they're going to be working with you with us or with anybody any any best practice that you can give them that's going to help them be prepared for their project regardless of who their team is um what i generally and it sounds so cheesy but it really works is i see whether they're on pinterest um because everything that we do is visual so i love if they're already users of pinterest Mm -hmm. and if they're not to get on pinterest but actually to to have their to have their ideas somewhere where we can reference and talk about it because i think that that is the clearest way to formulate the best things because we have that visual medium to go off of because you know prior to pinterest it was always you know i'd go to a meeting and and this wife would pull out this three ring binder and she's like this is from architectural digest 1980 and i love the sofa (laughs) and this is from and it was that's what life used to be but now we have we can reference whatever it is in the world and it just makes our lives so much easier because as much as I talk, I don't ever think that I, I try and put things in layman's terms so everybody understands, but I realize that there are just terms that fly out of my mouth 
that the everyday people don't always know. My clients are always pointing it out, like, what's chagrin? Um, (laughs) And, you know, when you have a visual, it keeps everybody on a much more uh, cohesive uh, frame of mind. And, And, you know, we know what we're talking about and we know what we're looking at. And I just think Pinterest is this huge tool that I, you know, heavily advocate for because it's it, it's great. Yeah, 100%. I I mean, and you've got like some 65,000 followers. I was just on your Pinterest uh looking at your at your boards. Um and it it, it is You've been doing a, your homework there, haven't come you? Come on, bro. <laughs> this is this ain't no rag shop over here. We do we do our diligence here. Come on. <laughs> uh yeah, no, it's you know that that and we we tell people a lot like look, you don't be worried about picking that perfect picture, we're going to create the environment for you. But in order to create the environment you want, we need to understand what your inspiration is. We'll make the room work. Just show us pictures of shit you like, and we'll build it from there. And by the way, pictures of things you don't like are just as valuable because it it gives us a clear direction of what not to do. Colors to stay away from, uh, finishes we don't like, uh, you know, you you name it. It can be anything about that picture. The most important part is, especially when you're working digitally, is that you make a little note on the photo. If it's not the overall vibe, I like the wallpaper. I like the tile. I hate this room. Whatever that little caption is below, so there's context to what we're looking at when we're not in the same room together, I think it's, a, it's hugely, hugely beneficial. Absolutely. You know, one of the big things that I've found, too, is a lot of people sort of miss diagnose themselves and put themselves into a <laughs> and and they put themselves into a style category yeah you know because a lot that's of people a great say, it's great a lot of people say what is your style and it's like well it's really tough to define anybody's style or anybody's i would look. agree with that especially today. Yes. and i and i hate that you have to car, car, compartmentalize yourself into that thing yeah because i've i've had clients who again will show me a picture, uh, you know, they'll say, I'm very modern, very contemporary, and then they show me, like, a floral uh, (laughs) chin sofa, and they're like, and I love this. And I'm like, and what did you just say? You just told me that you like contemporary? (laughs) (laughs) Right. Oh, God, that's so great. It's so great. But, Tyler, but I think that, you know, I think you're you're going down the the right path, and there's so many people, and that's why when, when we're talking to our fans, we're telling people, tell us what you like and what you don't like is because as a designer, everyone has those visions and those thoughts in their head. It's our job to decipher and figure out what you really want and what is going to to look best. Because I think we, you know, when you sit down with a client, you can go through so many different images and, and you start piecing together all all the pieces of the puzzle. And then at the end, after an hour or two and you're done with your design session, you say, okay, now I really understand what you like and what you're going for. And I think it's a great exercise because once you start doing that with with so many clients, you start seeing the client kind of open up their eyes, go, oh yeah, I guess that that is what I like. You know, we we yeah. find we finally found it, and, and it's really important that a, a designer does that, and that's the benefit of having a designer for your project because they put all those images, they take all those ideas that are inside your head, and they really make it come to life. And what we do is we refine that down 
and I'm going to use designer words and we curate that curate and, and we find the best of the best to give, to give you as options. And that's the thing you have to trust your designer that what we're, what we're presenting to you is sort of the best interpretation of who you are. Um, because I don't believe in overwhelming clients with 40,000 options. I like to refine it down to maybe like three here, three sofas, let's choose. And, you know, cause as soon as you give them that opportunity of showing them that there are literally thousands of options, then they're like, but what if it's, it's, count- it's counterproductive, it, it does not help. And I, I learned, actually, that's one takeaway from working in the firm. A lot of times, clients wanted to go to the D&D. They wanted to go shopping. You're like, no, please don't do this because you're going to make my life miserable. <laughs> it was like a perpetual circle of walking in a new showroom and then like, their eyes get wide and then they kind of get glazed over. But then they're like, I love it. It's like, no, you don't. Oh, yeah. Because God. you're not making any decisions. No one's right. making decisions. Oh, Correct. that's so funny, man. Correct. That's Correct. really funny. Yeah. So- so as we're talking through the process here, you know, after these after these initial inspiration boards are, are given to you and you start to, to formulate some ideas in your own head, what kind of deliverables do you give to your clients? Do you do mood boards? Do you do 3D renderings? Do you do anything at all? You do textures, you get material samples. What, what kind of stuff do you give to the client to, to get them to a comfort level? Um... I <laughs> mood boards are the funniest thing because I used to stress about them all throughout school. I I think in all my years I've done one. <laughs> That's great. I love the and, honesty. I love the honesty. That's great. Uh, you know, and I think that's primarily because I focus in on residential. Yeah. Residentially, things change you know if, if you're doing a commercial job if you don't like one fabric you can generally swap it out with another and the rest of the scheme stays together with residential a lot could be hinging on one particular piece or one particular fabric so as soon as that's taken away your entire scheme is sort of being revamped so it's like right. why are you putting together a board right um so you know i'll do a faux board and, and kind of photoshop some things together to show all the pieces and how they're working. So I, I will do that nowadays, um, but I, I always get fabric samples, always, because it's really, really difficult to see anything off of a screen, unless you can feel it, touch it, you know, love it. Um, it, it you, you need that. You need physical samples. Um, and I, I, that's primarily it. I mean, if they, if they want to go into a 3D rendering, I mean... I have to outsource that because I missed the curve in school um, with all that stuff. Uh, but residentially, I don't feel like a lot of clients require it as much right. because there aren't as many, you know, crucial areas that that need to go there. So I think physical samples and and um, if need be physically sitting down on the pieces, if you know, to get comfort. Who doesn't love a good trip to ABC? <laughs> well, I know you boys. Love <laughs> oh man, I spent many a Sunday on those five floors. Um, and and now let's go let, let's go a step further. So now that 
you have the samples, you understand kind of what the project is going to, to look like. I think one of the big questions, and we hear from a lot of people is, and I'm very curious to see kind of how you handle it with, with your clients, what do you do as far as payments? Do you do percentage of job? Because that's that's the one thing everyone always says, well, do I really need to do I really need to have a designer? Is it going to be economical for me for my project? Is it going to save me money? And it's it, you know, you just want to make sure and I think a lot of people are trying to figure out because there are a lot of practices of am I getting taken here? Is it really worth it? So I'm very curious to see kind of how you go down that path. Okay. So, so there, uh, we didn't mean to stress you, you out. Man. That's it. The when serious you, when, question. <laughs> you really need to appreciate and understand design when you're, when you're dealing with a designer and you're doing decorative areas. Now, when I say decorative areas, I mean the living room, the dining room, the bedroom, places that have very little construction, architectural things, even though all of those can fully have, you know, some beautiful details in it. Um, but if you're doing kitchens and bathrooms, I always highly recommend using a designer to get you the maximum amount of space, the best look, um, and find you the best materials for who you are and where you are and what you want to accomplish. Um, now, when it comes to the bedroom, living room, dining room, I understand. I am a luxury item. I am the, <laughs> I am that massage that you don't always need, but you love it like hell when you're sitting there for that 60 minutes getting it. Yep. So you have to know and appreciate what I bring to the table because what I'll bring to the table are things that aren't easily accessible to you. And like uh, that, that quote, I'm going to bring you things that you never knew existed, or maybe you never even knew you liked um, and bring that to the table. Um, everybody can do their own place. Of course they can. Um, but how well can you do it? How well can but, you do it? And, and are they going to, and I think this is the one thing that we talk to a lot of our clients about is, are you, are you passing on any of the discounts that you're getting? Because they're not going to be able to walk into the same stores that we walk into and get the same discounts and get the same prices that we would normally get those materials for. Yeah. So, you know, generally speaking, anybody in the trade can get a discount of anywhere, depending on the place, could go anywhere from 10% to 50% yeah. off. I always pass that along to the client. That's great. I always do. And, I, and I'm completely upfront with them because I tell them I'm getting a discount and I'm choosing this. So, you know, you're in a better position already. Yep. Then if you were doing it alone, you have the peace of mind that you were making the right decision because I'm here with you doing it. So the way uh, there's no rhyme or reason to any client and payment um, because it varies so greatly. Correct. Um, some clients cannot understand an hourly fee. They can pay their lawyers on an hourly yeah. fee, but they can't understand how designers can get paid on an hourly fee. Um some, I, I know the big old school designers back in the eighties, nineties used to only do a uh, percentage base, yep. but that's when people were spending lots, lots of money. of money. Yeah. I remember first starting off in the industry and specifying a sofa for, you know, 25 or $30,000. That's after the fabric 
And so then you take your 30% off the top of that and you're like, yeah, that was worth it. Yeah. 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 $25, $30,000. Absolutely. Definitely. But nowadays, those same clients have no problem walking into something like a like an ABC or a restoration hardware and picking their sofa there. Yeah. And so now you're buying a $4,000 sofa and that 30% is not doing what it used to do. And so what I've found is a combination of hourly and percentage works out because it's kind of a happy medium. Mm-hmm. Um, but it doesn't always apply for every client because not every client can get behind it because then they're like, well, you're just going to pick the most expensive thing. It's like, no, I'm going to pick the right thing, not right. the most expensive thing. Yeah. And I, um, I think you're right. I think it does depend on the client, the size of the job, what you're really doing for them. Because again, the scope of work is different on every single project. So it's going to, it's going to differ. So I, 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 I definitely agree with that as well. And once in the greatest while I will actually charge a flat fee, but that flat fee is actually just my hours, my, my guesstimated hours on the job presented as a flat fee. And I, and I put that into the contract. It's like, well, okay. So if you want to pay a, a flat fee, so, you know, you know, X amount will take care of X amount of hours. If it goes over that, we're going to start billing again. Do you, do you do that on smaller projects, or or do, or it doesn't really matter? It just it depends on what the client kind of wants to do. And a lot of times on smaller projects, it's easier for the client to understand and put it into their budget numbers. Yep. Because if it's a small project that you know they only want to spend twenty five thousand dollars on their living room, and that sounded really obnoxious and jaded of me to say that. But <laughs> no, it's the truth though. No, no, absolutely no. But that is, I mean, that look, uh, again, there are, we can go, you can get really expensive. You can, you can really get really pricey items if you're putting inexpensive couches or chairs inside of your living room or dining room area. So, I, I mean, it, it does make sense. But it, it makes, it makes it a lot easier for the client to understand if I have $25,000 for my living room and I'm taking out, I don't know, five for Tyler. Yep. And that would, that would be a high side if you're only at 25,000. Um, but then they know I have 20,000 to work with for all the rest of the stuff. It's a, it's a lot easier mathematically and mentally for them to, to grasp. Yeah. So. I, 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 quite honestly, I charge a flat fee on 99% of everything I do. Um, I still keep my hours on all my jobs because it, it allows me to, to better, to better quote a flat fee on a going forward basis because you know I can look at a job and size up you know what what I'm what I'm looking at hours wise but I find and this is to your to, to your last point you know I find that the client's comfort level knowing that they have a hard and fast number uh, to look at for their budget it, you know gives them a lot more uh, comfort yeah it just it just gives them peace of mind that there's not going to be like a sneaky bill that gets thrown in right that says i sit up all night thinking about you it's like, <laughs> yeah. exactly <laughs> and, and we try to and we try to tell so many people look that the designer like we've discussed is there to make your project looked look much more beautiful it's it's going to give the vision and it's going to give exactly what you want but in the end if you if you think about it they are there that they are there to save you money as well. So if they can get you the discounts on the items that you want, you're going to be saving money. So you know, it's not always like, oh, I'm just going to be paying more money. It's just an extra person to put on the team. No. Think about the overall project and how they can really save you money as well and make things run a lot smoother. 
And and to that point, what I said about kitchens and baths, that is especially uh, relevant because a designer will go in and make sure things are the way they're supposed to be. Things are on the project. You've ordered things. Um, you know, we we make sure I, I always equate being a designer to being air traffic control. We help planes take off and land efficiently and smoothly. So in a project like a kitchen where there where you guys know all about kitchens, a lot of moving pieces, a lot of moving pieces, a lot of moving pieces. And it's a matter of trying to get those pieces in as smoothly as possible. So one is in, one is out. The next person's in, the next person's out. If there's a damage, I take care of it and make sure that it doesn't become an issue and how to navigate through those those things. And so that's when I tell people designers are invaluable. You can't, yes, you can do it without a designer, but if you're really looking for this to be sort of your forever kitchen or at least the kitchen for the next 20 years, yep. you know, budget a designer in there. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Yeah, I mean the the other the other piece of advice that I like to give on the design front is that you know homeowners don't do this day in and day out. So you know there are little tricks that we have picked up along the way, and you you alluded to earlier about you know maximizing space and and and, and the efficiency of a floor plan. Um, you know, but you know, you know, you inherently know lead times of of materials that you work with a lot. You're you're used to scheduling people nonstop for these projects, and it's project after project. A lot of homeowners, not all, but a lot of homeowners will do one, maybe two projects in their lifetime. So it's like you're learning all this information that is that 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 if you do make a mistake with as we've said a few times here now it can be very expensive and certainly cost you a lot of time and, and aggravation so i find that you know having that extra person on the team that is so connected to the way everything's going to look when the job is completely done to your point is really invaluable mhm mhm i don't know how many times you know, clients have said, I only want you to take care of this portion of the job. And then almost immediately into the, into the job, they're like, the contractor wants to know what kind of light switches we, we <laughs> want. And I was like, well, yeah. I we just were talking about quickly. that. Uh, that's but, Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. that's funny, but because look, we know how busy everyone's lives are, right? We know that this isn't their this isn't their job, so they need somebody like you said that's going to steer the ship. They are the air traffic controller, making sure the general contractor's doing what he's doing, making sure that the subcontractors are are also doing what they're doing. And if something goes wrong, who's going to deal with it? Yeah. Who, whose shoulders is that going to fall on? Is it going to fall on the homeowner? And now they have all this extra work to do. So that that's that's that really is a great point. And also, you know, for, for homeowners looking to hire a designer, don't micromanage. Don't micromanage them. Don't micromanage the contractors. Like, if, if you truly believe in that, in that team, that's why you hired the team. Let them, like, do their work, like, as efficiently as possible. Yeah, you can ask questions. Absolutely. Homeowners should ask questions up the wazoo. But don't worry about micromanaging a project because that's why you've assembled this team. So you can step away enjoy your life and like 
you know, let it happen. Right. And that's why and that's why you're really putting the legwork in at the beginning. You're doing your homework, you're doing your due diligence, so that by the time you're hiring that team, you already know what what to expect. Yeah. Awesome, man. Well, this has been absolutely awesome. I'm so glad you were able to take the time to do it. Uh, we are going to hook up all your uh, all your socials in the show notes so you'll be able to find Tyler and follow him on all the grams and Twitters and all the good stuff out there. Uh, anything else that you got going on right now that you uh, that you want to let the people know about? Yeah, anything new? Any any new projects that we're going to be seeing you on? Um, I'm waiting for a con- <laughs> I'm waiting for a contract. It'll come soon, and and it- everybody will know. But it- it's it's an interesting twist in my life, considering where I came from. Cool. Well, we w- well we wish you luck on the uh, on the top secret project as it is. Well, are are you guys are you going to shoot more George George to the rescue around here in the tri-state area? Actually, we are shooting right now. We are shooting Wait. one out in Belmore. Oh. Um so, yeah, I mean, George has been really really awesome. Um and you know, I the reason that I love doing the show so often is because it's one of those shows that gives back. Yep. Yeah. I mean, there there is a true meaning behind the whole show and, you know, giving giving back to to these really deserving families is so fulfilling because i always said ever since i started design if if there's ever a way that i can give back with what i do because what i do again is i spend other people's money to make things pretty pretty good job description man not bad and but i always said if there's a way that i can ever give back i will give back that's why i've always been so involved with housing works and diffa and various uh charities hetrick martin hetrick martin institute um you know, just because I think giving back is the way to go. I mean, I, I'm i very lucky and I want to make sure that everybody else can, you know, appreciate great design and great design should be accessible to everybody. And, and, and if we can give back through what we do, then all the better. And I know you guys are super... Yeah super giving which i love about you guys uh, that's a, that's Thanks, what that, that's what makes uh it makes what we do really fun and really special so in the interim we will look for you on george to, to the rescue cannot wait to see who you're helping and what you're designing because it's always fun the episodes are always great and they're always over the top um and then i guess we're gonna be just waiting for the next post that's gonna let us know <laughs> this new adventure that's it that's all it's coming down to now Pretty much. I'm excited. I'm excited. So there's there's a lot of things that that are that are brewing. So I'm I'm super stoked. And you know, again, thank you guys. You guys are you guys are rock stars. Oh, thank. <laughs> you. Appreciate it, Tyler. Thank you, bud. Guys, this was another episode of Home with the Cousins. Thanks for hanging with us. Hey guys, real quick before you go, we just wanted to say thanks for listening to the show this week. And if you have a second, please subscribe on the Apple Podcast app or wherever you get your podcasts. And share the show with your friends so we can keep growing this great community. Remember to check out homewiththecousins.com to read our show notes from this episode, see past episodes, download our free renovation document package, or just to send us a note. You can also find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Carino Anthony and at Culinary John. Our show is produced and edited by yours truly, with original music intro and outro created by Steve and Joseph Padula. I'm Anthony Carino, and thanks for listening.